Well, it's good to be with you all again this morning, and uh, thanks for being here. Uh, those who are brand new, those who have uh, been here regularly for the past three years, and uh, everyone in between, <laughs> it's great to, great to have you with us. Let's uh, open our hearts as we open our Bibles, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us from your word, teach us wonderful things from your book about yourself, about your son, about the working of your Holy Spirit, and Lord God, Help us, Lord, to respond in faith and obedience. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Great. So make sure this is working. Yes, here we go. Lovely. Good. So we've come to the end of our series uh, about mountain experiences, times when Jesus uh, was on a mountain. And uh, we've gone through the whole list here, seven of them. And the last one today is Ascension Mountain the mountain from which Jesus ascended back to heaven after his mission on earth was completed and the disciples were witnesses and so on as we read in the passages earlier on. So we're going to be thinking about the significance of the ascension of Jesus. So basically as we know, as we sung earlier on um, about Jesus after his resurrection, there was this return to heaven and from there he reigns. Uh, we're going to sing about that again a bit later in our, in our final song. And he, he reigns there until he will return to complete the final phase of God's saving plan, which will be judgment and the new heavens and the new earth. And uh, we're looking forward to that, to the culmination of all God's saving plans and purposes. And so basically there's five significances from the ascension of Jesus that we're going to look at this morning. First of all, it was the acceptance of the finished work of Jesus. It was a sign of the acceptance of the finished work of him. Secondly, it was an event which then led to the sending of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the sending of the Holy Spirit was contingent upon the ascension of Jesus. And we'll look at that again later. It also fits in with our new theme for the CSI, which is amazing how God brings things together in, a, in an amazing way because it's a pivot point regards mission. The mission was to go international, to the ends of the earth. And we are, as God's people, to serve him until Jesus returns. And also, the very ascension of Jesus is part of the pattern that we will go on, the part of the route, the journey that we will go on. So it is a pattern for us. And then lastly, the fifth significance is, truth and justice will be vindicated. The honor and the glory of God will be seen. Truth and justice will be vindicated. So, let's imagine the scene. It was late on the first resurrection Sunday. The risen Jesus suddenly stood amongst the confused and fearful, grieving disciples. They were startled. Some thought it was a ghost. He calmed them down and he ate some food to prove that he was really there. And then he taught them. He opened their minds. And that was referring to the reading in Luke chapter 24 and verse 45 to 53. It says there that he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, so they could understand the Old Testament, they could understand things that he'd been saying. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You, my disciples, are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father's promised. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So after that 
first Easter Sunday, that first Resurrection Sunday, there were about 40 days where Jesus appeared many different times to, to, to different groups of people, giving convincing proofs. And we need to remember that there were the far, far more than just the, the 12 apostles, of course, 11 uh, with Judas gone at this point. And at one point, Jesus appeared to over 500 uh, disciples. Uh, and again, evidence that he really was alive. But on this day of ascension, on the ascension day, there were just the 11 disciples who Jesus took with him. Matthew chapter 28 tells us, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So this mountain experience. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's a very, very honest account. If you were writing propaganda, if you were making this story up, if, um, if Matthew was writing this story to, to make up something about Jesus that wasn't true, you wouldn't have written that in, would you? You would have said, yes, everyone was convinced, everyone was absolutely convinced. There's no doubts at this point, but no, it's an honest account. Some doubted. Exactly what they were doubting were not told. Some of the disciples, we know, were still finding it hard to take it all in. Was it that they doubted they were truly seeing Jesus? I'm not sure of that, but possibly. But was it the way things were turning out? Some later asked Jesus, was he going to restore the kingdom of Israel as a physical nation state? So maybe the doubts were more related to what was the next part of the plan? And why was Jesus going away? You know, we thought that you're going to restore the physical kingdom of Israel. Well, Jesus gives them and us, just before he ascends back to heaven, our marching orders. He gives us our mission until the end of this age. And it's very clear that what we, the church, need to get stuck into, what we need to be involved in. Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That doesn't mean force them to be disciples, but you know, go and preach the gospel and uh, lead them to disciple, disciplehood. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of, and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, Matthew leaves it to Luke to carry on the account and fill in some more details. And so we read from Luke 24, when he had led them out to, to the vicinity of Bethany, where this mountain was, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him, it says, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So that's the ascension. What about the significance of the ascension there on that mountain near, in the region of Bethany? Well, it was the acceptance of the finished work of Jesus. The finished work. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, he said his last words, It is finished. It is finished. And of course, Jesus completed that work for us to save us. And after his death, we know Jesus rose again from the dead. He rose again bodily. He came to life really, not just spiritually. But he could have just gone back to heaven unseen, couldn't he? Without any witnesses. He could have just gone back to heaven without anyone noticing. But it didn't happen that way. There were witnesses. And the way that he ascended after his resurrection, those 40, after 40 days, is important. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 says, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So there were eyewitnesses to the ascension. Now, in the Old Testament, clouds were associated with the presence of the glory of God. So this is something of God. This is 
God's glory seen in this ascension. That's another important point. Now, you don't get to heaven by physically going up. Elon Musk and uh, Richard Branson haven't found heaven by going into the upper atmosphere, have they, and just into space. No one has. So the, the, the going up, the ascension in that sense, the, the physically going up is not the most important thing. There must have been some transfer into a new dimension. But the going up is an important symbol. Going up is an important symbol. It shows us that heaven is not here, not yet. One day there will be a new creation and heaven will be on earth. But going up shows that heaven is a much better and a holy place. And ascending shows that Jesus went back in power and glory. He didn't go home through the back door, but he went home through the front door. The glory of God was seen. There were eyewitnesses. And this ties in with what Hebrews chapter 1 says. Uh, the, the writer to, of the Hebrews says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, sitting down is a sign that the work is complete, and at the right hand of the majesty in heaven is a, a status. It's the status of royalty. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now remember, when Jesus was dying, his last words were, It is finished. Not a cry of defeat, but a cry of completion. And the ascension of Jesus is part of the verification. It's part of the seal of approval by God on what he'd accomplished. That he really had truly finished the work. In Philippians chapter 2, we see uh, the, the, the descent of Jesus put to us uh, as a, an example for us in how we uh, treat one another. But Paul writes here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, about the descent of Jesus and then, then the exaltation of Jesus. And being found in appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the ascension is part of that exaltation. The ascension is part of that approval. The ascension, the significance of it is the acceptance, the, is the sign of the acceptance of the finished work of Jesus. And that means that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we trust in someone who has completed the job perfectly. Like the master craftsman, it is complete and we can trust in him. And one definition of a Christian is someone who acknowledges now and live their lives now under the banner of Jesus is Lord. He is the ascended one. He is Lord. And are we living our lives acknowledging his lordship, acknowledging that the Father has verified his work and we are under his banner. Jesus is Lord. The second significance is regards the, the sending of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. When Jesus was talking to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, the night of the Last Supper, he told them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He had told them before, but he spends a lot of time. John's Gospel gives us a lot of detail about that. On the night he was betrayed, he told, tells them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
whom he describes as the advocate or the comforter. And he also explains that the coming of the Holy Spirit was contingent upon his going away. So John chapter 16 and verse 7 says this, But very truly I tell you, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So someone is coming. It's the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus was on earth, the Holy Spirit was present, of course. And the Holy Spirit came upon him when he was baptized. And the Spirit of God is always at work in this world. He's always been at work in this world. But in a general sense, and maybe in certain specific people in the past, in the Old Testament times, the prophets, kings and priests, uh, whom the Holy Spirit came upon to give them abilities and so on, but the next phase of the work of Jesus, as Jesus explains, was to physically leave the church. He was physically going to go. He was going to ascend. But he promises to be present by his Holy Spirit in every believer whom he will send. Luke chapter 24, verse 49 again. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay? So, Why? Why this? Why did Jesus have to leave physically? Why do they have to wait for the power of the Spirit? Why the change? Why, Jesus, don't you stay on earth and lead the church from this world, on this planet, physically? Maybe set up headquarters in Jerusalem. So we wouldn't have the Vatican in Rome. Uh, we would have had headquarters in Jerusalem with the proper leader of the church, Jesus. Well, it's partly because God wanted the church to be international. Interracial are not centered on one place or one nation. Not even on one physical person. That's not the way God wanted it to be. God wants the church to be international and fluid in that sense. Not related to a simple, a, a single building or even a, a physical person. It's also because God wants us to learn to live as Jesus in this world. The disciples followed Jesus around, but he was one person in one place at one time. The Lord Jesus has ascended back to heaven, but his Holy Spirit has come to live in every single Christian, in every believer, in his whole church. So the Holy Spirit is with us right now. And Jesus is with us by his Spirit. But we need to use our eyes to see the needs. We need to use our hearts to love. We need to use our hands to do the work of Jesus in this world. We need to use our feet to go and our mouths to to spread the gospel. So Jesus is still on the earth at work, but by his spirit, not physically. He physically ascended. He sent his spirit into us. He works amongst us. And we are the hands and feet and eyes and heart of Jesus working in this world. Jesus has physically left us. But he's indwelling his people spiritually. We are the body on earth now to do the work of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. So we are so important to each other and so important to this world to be that body. Working, representing, doing the work of Christ in the power of his spirit. Now to function as the body of Christ is a real challenge, isn't it? It's a lifelong learning curve to grow to be like Jesus, to grow to behave like Jesus, to grow to serve like Jesus. So it's a learning curve. Difficult at times, very difficult. It's part of our spiritual growth pattern as well. 
Because God is working in us to make us more like Jesus. And we become more like Jesus as we live as Jesus in this world. And it's a great privilege too. It's a great privilege to those who love him. Isn't it? A great privilege to those of us who love Jesus that he entrusts us with carrying on his kind of work in this world. We'll never be him. We'll never be the son of God. We'll never be him. But we can do things like him. We can seek to attain to his kind of attitudes, his kind of behavior, his kind of working in his power. And this relates to the the next point of significance of the ascension of Jesus. And that is how Jesus sent us on mission to boldly go until he returns. Now, earlier in his ministry, Jesus gave us a parable. And it's a a story like an allegory. It's a a story, a made-up story about real things often which gives us a spiritual lesson for us to take on board so it's a kind of an allegory parable a story with a meaning and it indicates this parable indicates that jesus was going away that he would return later and in the meanwhile he gives his people a mission to complete and remember this is a kind of allegory matthew 25 and verse 14 so jesus says again the kingdom of god It will be like, it's a parable, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Then he went on his journey. Remember, Jesus entrusted the mission to his disciples, he ascended, he went on that journey. And when the man returned, to cut the story short, two servants had invested and two of them had doubled their capital for the master. They'd earned double. Okay? One man, the one of the servants, just hid his bag in the ground and gained nothing. No profit. He didn't use the money. He didn't work, work it. Now, the two investors were commended, but the hoarder was rebuked for his wicked and lazy behavior. So that's how the parable goes. Now, we've been saved by the gospel of Jesus, haven't we, for a Christian? We've been entrusted with this gold. We have a great message about Jesus that has saved us and that is a message of gold for the world. Now, Jesus has gone away. He's gone back to heaven. And our mission is to live out the consequences of the gospel because it changes our lives. And our mission is to share the message of the gospel, to spread it to the ends of the earth. So we need to invest this message in people's lives. We need to invest it in our own lives more and more, but we need to invest ourselves and others with this message and to see others change and transformed so that when Jesus returns, there'll be a profit for our investments. Not of, not of money, not of wealth, but of people, other people who know and love the Lord and have been saved by him, whose lives have been changed and transformed by him. So we have our marching orders, don't we? Uh, in Acts Gospel, sorry, Acts chapter 1, Uh, Acts isn't one of the Gospels, but the uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. With the power of the Holy Spirit we will be witnesses. So Jesus was sent to save us, and now we are sent not to save people, but sent with a saving message. Again, John's Gospel chapter 20 Verse 21, Jesus says, Peace be with you to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent the Lord Jesus, he's sending us. 
you're sending us. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now that could be next door. It could be in your town. It could be school's work. It could be going to your colleagues. It could be amongst your neighbours. It could be your family. It doesn't have to be literally to the ends of the earth. It could be no further than the end of your street. But you've got a message to share. It could be to the ends of the earth or somewhere in between. But we're to go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and, the, and of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises he'll be with us always to the very end of the age. And, and just as Jesus was a human on earth, relying upon the Spirit, praying to his Father, we are now to spread across this world, not to save people ourselves, because we can't, we can't, can't save anyone, but to spread this saving message about Jesus in the way he did, relying upon the Spirit, praying to the Father. And every Christian, therefore, needs to be a missionary because we are to continue in the work of him, our Saviour, of Jesus. Not with the intrinsic power of ourselves, not with human might and, and, and manipulation and, and force. We don't spread Christianity like that. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, the gentle Holy Spirit, Powerful, but gentle. Changing, convincing from within in that wonderful, miraculous way. In the power of the Spirit and with the authority of the risen Jesus we go. It's interesting because in, in Acts chapter 1, um, if you remember Luke's gospel was written by Luke, as the name says. But Acts was also written by Luke. And uh, he says in the introduction to Luke, he points out that this is a two-part series. And he's already written Luke's gospel to a man called Theophilus, who seems to be a Roman governor. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So the hint here is that the church, in the power of the Spirit, when, the, when Pentecost came, continues the work of Jesus. At Luke is what Jesus began to do and teach, Acts continues that work of Jesus. Now, of course, history has moved on. The church is spread over every continent. There's so many different cultures. And none of us is the Son of God like Jesus. And uh, when we can never be like Jesus in his unique glory. But the question is this, and this is the challenge. Does our life, does our activity personally as a church family, does it look anything like the work and teaching of Jesus? And then this leads us into the next main point. And that is the ascension of Jesus is a pattern for us. A pattern for us. The serving of Jesus. The suffering of Jesus. And his ascension is a pattern for us. It's part of God's plan for us, following in the footsteps of Jesus. If you remember Philippians chapter 2 that we read from earlier on, talks about this descent of Jesus, the one who who was very God, and he came down, made himself a servant, became human, he died on a cross, he became obedient even to death on a cross, and then therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Well, we can't do what Jesus uniquely did because he's unique, and what he did is unique. But the pattern is similar. The pattern is similar for us. Jesus was sent, he served, and that involves suffering, he rose again and was exalted, and this is our pattern too. Romans chapter 8. We turn to Romans chapter 8 
and verse 15. It talks about the fact that the world is, is struggling with, with suffering, uh, as if creation itself is, is, is kind of groaning because of the, the way that, that sin has spoiled our world and the way that evil is, is, has damaged our world. And it's looking for the, for the release of that. And as Christians too, we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. We're looking forward to the uh, acknowledgement, uh, as it were, that, that we are the children of God. And in the meantime, we, we suffer along with everyone else in different ways. And by him, by the Spirit, verse 15 says, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with a glory that will be revealed in us. So we're in a suffering world. We share the suffering of others. We help. We share the gospel with others that can help and change and transform lives. But we, we're still in this world that is groaning. But one day we will share in the glory. We share in the sufferings, even the sufferings of Christ. But we will also share in his glory because we are his children. We are sons of the living God. So we follow this pattern. And of course, when Jesus returns, we're going to ascend. Jesus ascended back up to heaven. We're going to ascend. If we're a Christian, if we know and love the Lord, we will ascend like Jesus to be with Jesus forever. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. This is describing what will happen. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will raise, rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left, listen, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's how Jesus went back, didn't he? He went up, hidden by a cloud, and he went back to the Father in heaven. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And Paul adds here, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we're heading for an ascension. It's not just, just the Lord Jesus that was ascended. We're going to go that way too. So it's a pattern for us. So if you're struggling at this moment, seeing the effects of a sin-spoiled world smashing into your life, you struggle with your own personal sin, and it's not easy, is it? You get up to fight and you fall down. And you see the world groaning, as it were, in that kind of poetic sense, that the world is groaning around us. But it's not the end of the story. Jesus will return. There will be a judgment. Righteousness will be done. Justice will be done. But there's going to be an ascension. God's people will ascend to be with the Lord forever. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. There'll be release from the groaning. Forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The ascension is very significant, isn't it? Let's look at the last thing. Truth and justice will be vindicated. Truth and justice will be vindicated. Jesus has returned to heaven. He is ruling and he's exercising his authority. He's guiding the church in her mission from heaven. As we read the Bible, as we read the New Testament, Jesus is head of the church, the lead of the church. We follow his marching orders as we read about him in the Bible, and uh, he's exercising his authority over the church in her mission. 
until the end of this age. So the ascension of Jesus is not only his way out of this world, back to heaven, but it's also, as we've touched upon, was a theological ascension to the right hand of the Father. It was significant in that it showed that he is Lord. It was a theological ascension as well as a physical going up into the sky. And then we believe some kind of transfer into the, the dimension of heaven. Uh, but that's in God's hands. We can't do that. We can't get there by Elon Musk's rocket or anything else. But the theological sense of the ascension rising up, exalted as Lord. He is Lord. And though we follow his pattern of suffering in service on this planet, in due course, all righteousness and justice will be fulfilled and completed. Jesus is Lord. But there are people getting away with wrong. Jesus is Lord. He's ascended. All righteousness and justice one day will be done and vindicated. But there are mass murderers of this world who seem to have got away with it. No, they won't. No, they won't. Jesus is Lord. What about people who seem to get away with crimes or sentences that we think that's not fair. Jesus is Lord. All righteousness will be done. Justice and righteousness and truth will be vindicated. You see, it's so significant, the ascension of Jesus. He is Lord. And the ascension is part of that vindication. Now, I want you to imagine another scene. Imagine a son. It's the Second World War. He's been called up. It's been a heartbreak to the family to see him go. He gets trained and he gets sent. And he's got particular skills and he's chosen for a special operation, a secret covert mission. He can't tell anyone. His own platoon think he's gone absent without leave. Even his own family can't tell them. And even some of his own family begin to doubt his courage. He's betrayed us. But the war ends, and the son is able to return from his mission. He's awarded medals and honors in secret by the military, because what he's done, what he's been involved in, can't be revealed. It was a covert mission. And then the day comes for him to go home. He's demobilized, and he goes back towards his hometown to, to visit his family home. But there's still uncertainty in the neighborhood. Some people still think really badly of him. Some of his family still believe the rumors about his cowardice. And this war veteran feels awkward about seeing his people. He gets off the train at the station, collar up, head down. And he st and starts an uncomfortable walk back down those terrace streets to his house. His father, though, is looking out. He sees him walking up the gate. And he goes to open the front door. But his son is going Heading round to the back alley, round to the back door, almost as if he's too shamed to come to the front door. But the father opens the front door and says, Son, come this way, come this way, come to the front door. And so the son turns and he heads back towards the front. And the father calls to the rest of the family, Come out, come out, everyone, come out. Let's welcome our son. He's come back. And there in public, the father hugs his son, Welcome home, my lad. You see, the father never doubted the son, the father believed the son. And in public, in front of witnesses, the father receives his son into the home and he ascends up the steps into the family home. This is what happened with the ascension of Jesus. The father brings the son home. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. 
He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Jesus. So then, the significance of the ascension. It underlines the completion and acceptance of the finished work of Jesus. So if we're a Christian, we're trusting in the one who's completed the mission. We base our lives and eternities on the finished work of Jesus. It also brings in the era of God the Spirit at work in the body of Jesus. His church, his people, us, you, me. What a great privilege we have. He's, the Lord's left us physically, but we're now the physical body to do his work in the power of his Spirit. It marks us being sent out on mission. We serve until Christ returns. The master's gone on a journey. We've got the bags of gold of the gospel. We need to invest them until he returns. It also completes a pattern for us to follow. Like Jesus, after suffering and serving, we will rise to ascend to be with him. And all this is part of the, the final vindication process of Jesus, of his people. It gives us the reassurance, too, that one day truth and justice and righteousness will triumph and reign because Jesus has ascended. He's been exalted. He is Lord, and he will return. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that you welcome the Son home with eyewitnesses, with clouds of glory. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the risen Lord. Thank you that you are working in us right now by your Holy Spirit. You have been these last 2,000 years. Your church, touching the lives of others, sharing the good news of Jesus. And Lord God, we thank you that your Son will one day return in power and glory. Thank you, Lord, that by your grace we will be part of that final ascension. We will meet you, Lord Jesus, in the air and we'll be with you forever. So we thank you for these wonderful significances of your ascension. Help us to believe, help us to trust, help us to live our lives in view of these things. In your precious name, Lord. Amen.